What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. And it's been a couple of days since we've last had a Be Shafe Daily episode. The reason for that, well, there are a couple reasons. Sunday night, I literally had no idea what I would have come on here to say. The Cardinals were so poor in Sunday's game offensively as the final game of the Cincinnati series at Bush Stadium. That was the final game of the homestand, Albert Pujols bobblehead day. You hoped maybe that would be a day something special would happen. Oh, no. There was nothing special that took place at Bush on Sunday. The Cardinals were out hit 10-2. They were outscored 3 to nothing in probably the most hapless effort I have seen from this offense this season. And then you had the off day on Monday. So there were no episodes worthwhile for Tuesday morning. And if the Cardinals had their way, we just wouldn't have had another episode today because if the criteria had anything to do with capable offensive effort, well, then we probably shouldn't be recording right now. But I thought three days was far too many to go for a podcast with daily in the name of it. So we're back. Breaking down a Cardinals loss in San Diego, 5-0 in another game that was a problem for the offense. And so that becomes the question of the night is, well, how bad have things gotten for the Cardinals offensively? And can we expect those woes to turn around anytime soon? Because as you may well know, perhaps the Cardinals have forgotten, the playoffs are just around the corner. And despite this recent downturn, the Cardinals are going to be there in October. We'll tell you how the magic number found a way to dwindle, even as the Cardinals have struggled over the past couple of days. We'll put into context the recent issues for the Bats and try to speculate on maybe they can get things going at some point soon. Is it the worst time in the world to be having a slump if you're going to have one? We'll talk about all those things and more on today's episode of B-Shape Data. We'll get into the Wainwright start as well from... Tuesday night as he didn't look like himself again. And I think some people have been speculating, like, is Adam Wainwright done? Is he hit a wall? What's going on here? We'll talk about Wayno as well. As we get our fix for Cardinals baseball and I guess bide our time until this team has something more worthwhile to talk about. But before we jump into the content of the show tonight, I want to remind you to subscribe to Be Shafe Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Be Shafe Daily. Head to anchor.fm slash B Shafer12. And click on more platforms to find the other locales to find the show. And if you like B-Shape Daily and you're wondering, how can I support this wonderful program? I'm here to tell you how. Head to patreon.com slash bshafer12 and check out the monthly subscription where for five bucks a month, you can be among the esteemed. What do they say? The few, the proud, the supporters, the patrons of B-Shape Daily. You may not be as special as Marines, but you're special to me. And appreciate you, Mark, for hopping on board within the last couple of days as a patron on Patreon.com. And really, it's just a way to commit your support to the show you already listened to. But as time goes on, I'll have more opportunities to post some different things on Patreon. And I'm ramping up the content as well. It may not be for everybody, but with football season going on, you may have noticed on the B-Shape Daily Feed, I have started doing a weekly NFL episode where I break down 
every game in the league for that Sunday and Monday. Perhaps going to try to get that episode out a little bit earlier this week. For the time being, that will remain on the B-Shape Daily Feed. If it makes you so mad because you only like Cardinals baseball, send me a message on Twitter at bshafer 12 and I will try my best to soothe your concerns. I really do appreciate you guys, though, for bearing with me. If you can, just scroll past it if you don't like the non-Cardinals baseball episodes. It might be the best way for me to kind of keep my sanity for the time being rather than have to figure out how to start an entire new podcast page. I swear to you, it took six months to a year to get B-Shape Daily started, and the reason was, like, from the moment I had the, the idea of the inception of the podcast, the reason it took so long is because I couldn't figure out And it was so daunting to think, how do I put together a podcast page and get people to actually listen to this thing? So I finally got that done. For now, I'm going to try to stick with just the one feed. Uh, But as time goes on and I get more patrons that are interested in football content and things of the like, I'll end up maybe shifting that content in the future. But for now, appreciate you guys for bearing with me. And I appreciate you even more for supporting and listening. So let's jump into the content of the show tonight. As again, it's going to be kind of a lean episode, but there are still very interesting things to get into as the Cardinals on this 21st day of September, they're kind of getting the cobwebs out a little bit offensively, and hopefully it's a case where they get out of their system, right? They don't enter the October period of time where playoff series are going on and still having these issues at the plate. Like, there's reason to be concerned about this because... If you think back to the recent postseasons for the St. Louis Cardinals, they've all ended for pretty much the exact same reason. 2019, NLCS against the Washington Nationals. What happened in that series? Cardinals couldn't score runs. That's a best four out of seven in which the Cardinals scored a grand total across four games of six runs. They were shut out in game one. That was the Anibal Sanchez game. Game two, lost to Max Scherzer. Boy, they haven't had a lot of fun facing him in the postseason, have they? Lost to Scherzer, 3-1. to one. Game three, this was then on the road at Washington. The first two games, they lost at home, if you recall. Game three, they got blown out in D.C. Game four, similar story. Scoring totals across those games of 0, 1, 1, and 4. It took them until the middle innings, I feel like, of game four to score a second run in a single game in that series. And then the next day, I did a sightseeing tour around Washington, D.C. because, well, my flight wasn't for a whole additional day and I had nowhere else to be. So good on you for that, Cardinals. I guess you gave me a little bit more of a view of the city that day in 2019 in D.C. But otherwise, there was no positives to take away from the Offensive performance from the Cardinals in that 2019 series. Flash forward to 2020, the COVID season, but you got the wild card series in San Diego. That final game, Jack Flaherty was great on the mound. Cardinals, unable to get anything going offensively, eliminated from the playoffs. And then last year, remember that Max Scherzer guy? Yeah, he was back. Out in Los Angeles, Dodgers, wild card game. Scherzer got him again. Couldn't get anything going. Had a chance to... Maybe send it to extras, do some damage there. Nope, Alex Reyes happened. A shame, though, that that's probably going to wind up as the final pitch he's ever going to throw as a Cardinal, and maybe, hopefully not the final pitch he ever throws in the big leagues. But I I don't anticipate Reyes back with St. Louis just based on the, the hill to climb that it would be from a health perspective and 
and the money working out and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is the Cardinals offensively have not been very good in the last three postseasons. And then you think back to previous years, 2018, 2017, 2016, didn't make the playoffs in those seasons. And, of course, 2015 was the 100-win season that they lost to the Cubs in the NLDS. So it's it's been a pretty rich history of the Cardinals faltering offensively, specifically in the playoffs. And that has led to early exits. I won't say 2019 was an early exit because you make the NLCS, you make the Final Four, you're doing something right. But the last two seasons, bats fall silent in October. That spells doom for the Cardinals. And the way this 2022 roster is built, I don't think you can afford to go into the playoffs and not have your best foot forward offensively. Because the Cardinals are not really built as a team that's just going to rock your world with pitching. They're going to shut you down with a dominant rotation. No, they had to fix their starting pitching at the trade deadline to even get it to what you would consider passable. And I would say right now it's still at that point, although some of the main cogs in that rotation are guys like Adam Wainwright who are struggling a little bit more than you probably want to acknowledge at this point. We'll get into Wainwright a little bit more after we wrap up talking about the offense. But I look at this team and the way that they've won their games this year. Yeah, they've got a good bullpen too. Ryan Helsley locks it down as the closer. Giovanni Gallegos, I think, is going to be a reliable setup man, a reliable leverage reliever. When you get into the playoffs and into a, a tight series like that, I think he'll get the job done. I don't worry too much about Gio. Other spots in the bullpen, I mean, you thought you had Henesis Cabrera. That has been a flame out since then. There have been some other spots in the bullpen that have been questionable. But I think, by and large, like Jordan Hicks maybe comes on strong. You feel better about that spot. Pallante's giving you some really gritty innings this season in, in a variety of roles. I think the bullpen ends up being a plus. And maybe that's a little optimistic, but let's face it, we don't have time to be or I should say emotional energy, to be fretting about every aspect of this team. We're focused on one at a time. Let's fret about the offense. My point is, bullpen's going to be fine. It's not going to be the thing that carries you. You can't win on on a good bullpen alone. Rotation's going to be fine. I really do think that. Getting Jordan Montgomery was key. Jose Quintana, looking maybe as, as good as the Cardinals have seen from him in his most recent outing. So even if Michaelis and Wainwright need a little bit of tune-up, I, I think... Ollie probably needs to manage those guys wisely down the stretch. Like, you can skip a turn for Wainwright or Michaelis at this point. You can make sure they're well-rested. We'll talk more about that dead arm situation for Wainwright. He mentioned dead arm. Felt like he was coming out of a dead arm period in his last outing prior to tonight, the 325 game against Milwaukee at Bush between Yachty and Wayno for their 325th start. So, like, those are some concerns. But at the same time, I feel like it's going to be fine. I feel like the rotation that you built is going to do what it was designed to do. But what it was designed to do when you get into a playoff series is not take over a series and just be the reason that you're going to win it. Like, that would be great. But not every team's going to have one of those rotations. The Dodgers probably will have that kind of rotation, even though they've dealt with some injuries. The Braves, I think you could make a case that they're going to have that kind of rotation. Spencer Strider, Max Freed, they've got some veterans like Morton and Odorizzi as well that, you know, maybe they're on the cusp of that. The New York Mets have obviously got that. And I'll give the reason that Cardinals fans should be rooting for one team over another out in the NL East. I'll try to do that. Remember to do that before I wrap up here. 
But you're looking at those other teams in the NL and you're thinking, okay, I mean, they've got some, you're talking about the chief contenders. They've got some good rotations. Cardinals might not be quite as good as those rotations, but the way the Cardinals could have a chance to win is by just slugging the crap out of the baseball and just doing that better than anybody else. I know the Dodgers have a better lineup, and the Braves probably do too. But you look on the season, and especially with what the Cardinals have done, kind of bef- like that August stretch, right? I'm talking right before this little lull has has come into play. The Cardinals were looking real dangerous as an offensive unit. 750 is their OPS for the season as a lineup. That's pretty good. It's fourth in baseball, third in the National League, behind only the Dodgers and the Braves. So what they do offensively is going to be the thing that carries the Cardinals. But if the Cardinals aren't doing that thing, how quickly do they exit the playoffs? I think it's pretty obvious. They're not going to last very long. If you're a roster built upon your ability to slug past teams, fourth in MLB this season and run score of a 713 behind the Dodgers, Yankees, and Braves. Like the Cardinals are, for all the consternation that we've had throughout the season about the offense, end of the day, body of work, they've been one of the best offenses in baseball, and they've just, I mean, you have two potential MVP candidates in your lineup. You can talk about that. Paul Goldschmidt has been the MVP all season long. I know he has struggled recently along with the rest of the lineup, but the fact that he's going through the kind of stretch that he is and you can still look at his numbers for the entire season, like they all count, and he's still far and away the the most elite hitter in the National League this season, like it's not close. And I'm sorting for OPS right now among qualified hitters in the NL. Kind of hilarious and a little bit sad that I accidentally clicked twice, so I was clicking to have the OPS sorted by the best to the to the worst, so that the best would be at the top. The best is obviously Paul Goldschmidt, 1,008. But you can recall earlier this season, we were in the 1,050, 1040, 1030, those kinds of ranges. He's certainly fallen off the pace a little bit since then. But even with the struggles that are going on, he's still so far ahead of anybody else, it's comical. 1008 is his OPS, second place Freddie Freeman, 927. Arenado, the only other player in the National League above 900 at 901. And that's talking about qualified hitters. You have to have a certain number of plate appearances per game in order to qualify. But I accidentally sorted for a moment the OPS category by lowest in the National League. The second lowest OPS, qualifying OPS in the NL this season, is Cody Bellinger. He's hitting 200 on the nose with a 637 OPS, which is brutal. Marcelo Zuna down there as well. Trent Grisham, boy, was I wrong about Trent Grisham. Two players I decided a couple of years ago, I guess it was the beginning of the 2021 season, I decided I wanted to collect baseball cards for one active player, one active pitcher, position player and pitcher. I picked pretty well when it came to the pitcher. I decided at the beginning of 2021, I'm going to collect Corbin Burns cards. Well, he won the Cy Young that year. I also decided on the position player side, I would take up collecting Trent Grisham. That has gone very poorly. Trent Grisham... Has not, has not panned out. But nevertheless, former MVP and Cody Bellinger. So kind of crazy to, to think that he's now one of the worst hitters, according to OPS anyway. I guess I should say one of the worst hitters that still gets a bunch of at-bats because he's still a qualifying hitter, 637 OPS. Paul Goldsmith, nearly 400 points higher at 1008. So Goldsmith still had that kind of year. 
He's got an OPS 81 points higher than Freddie Freeman. I just can't fathom unless Goldie, I mean, even Goldie losing another 30 points in OPS, he's still going to end the season with the highest OPS in the NL. And he's probably not going to win the Triple Crown. Kyle Schwerber's up to 40 homers. Goldie's just at 35. He's fallen off the pace. Alonzo has really surged in RBIs, 121 to 112. And Alonzo's got 37 dingers as well. So he leads Goldie in both those categories. But if you look at everything else, batting average, 322 to 267. OBP, 410 to 346. Slugging, 598 to 511. Goldie has him in OPS, 1008 to 857. It's literally not close. Would be the biggest example of East Coast bias you've ever seen if Alonzo or really anybody else wins the MVP over Paul Goldsmith this season, even with the way he's struggling to the end. Although Goldie did have a nice double today. So hopefully, I mean, he's just got to find that equilibrium. He doesn't have to be what he was. Just kind of don't limp to the finish. Don't make it something that the voters even have to think about. And and Goldie should should get that award still. And I've also looked at the pitching side of things for a little while to see, okay, is there anybody on the pitching side that could lay claim to the award? The answer really is no. Sandy Alcantara has really struggled in the second half. I wonder if that workhorse mentality where it seemed like he was going seven, eight innings every time he pitched, did that end up costing him? Uh, but he's still got an ERA of 2.37, but it's not MVP caliber for what he's done. And, and Julio Urias, 17-7 and seven with a 2.27 ERA for the Dodgers. Uh, he's, he's not in that category either. It's just you'd have to have a, a far and away tremendous pitching season to be considered there for me. And nobody in the NL is in that spot not even Sandy at this point. So it's got to be Goldie. But you look at the Cardinals' offense. I know that was a tangent. I have them often. You look at the Cardinals' offense, that's what makes the Cardinals good. That's what makes the Cardinals potentially great. It separates them from, honestly, past Cardinals' seasons, where we talk about these past three years, and they've been kind of middle of the road to sometimes below average offensively in these these recent years. And this year, they've been and above average offense on the whole. But if they're just going to be that same old feeble and die offense when we get into the playoffs, it's going to be an ugly exit. The offense has got to be the one to come around, and it's what's carried them all season. They've got a good amount of pieces offensively that when it's rolling, you can understand why it's effective. I mentioned the MVP candidates. Goldschmidt, Arenado, two of three qualifying hitters in the National League with an OPS better than 900. And Goldie, of course, is, is above 1,000. If you look elsewhere in the lineup, like when things are going, there's there's plenty to be excited about for this Cardinals team. Tommy Edmond has been maybe disappointing on the whole. 733 is his OPS, but that's improved compared to where he was a month or so ago. And he's a guy that hits a lot of doubles. He's giving you some power. He's giving you great defense. And he's stolen uh, over 30 bases. He'll probably have the the stolen base record dating back to 2003, Edgar Renteria. He'll pass that number. Very possible. But a good contributor. Juan Yepes is back. He's got that 754 OPS, one of the higher numbers on the Cardinals. Lars Newbar at 759 has definitely had a downturn recently, but has given some really good production at times this season. Donovan, Brennan Donovan, BFD, is at 760 on the OPS. And on base of 390, that's a guy that is a table setter. He and Newt Bar both, when they're going good. Albert, Albert Pujols has been amazing this year. 852 OPS. He's going to kill you if you're a left-handed pitcher. He's really 
been solid against righties as well over the past few weeks or so. As he chases down 700, we'll see if he gets there. I still think he does. They play the Pirates six times in the season. I don't, I don't see any way he doesn't get there. Then you look elsewhere in the lineup like, yeah, there's been some disappointment. Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill hovering right around 700 for the OPS. Corey Dickerson was pitiful, and then he's gotten much better. Although average was about 290, now it's about 279. He's fallen off the pace a little bit. I think you need to consider not playing him every day necessarily. But while O'Neill is on the injured list, and Carlson, I mean, probably the answer is just play Carlson every day. Righty, lefty, doesn't matter. Because for the Cardinals to return to the best version of themselves as an offense, I think Carlson's got to probably be involved in it. I'm not saying he's automatically going to get better after some time on the injured list, but they've got to try something. And if Dickerson's not going to just continue mashing the way he was there for a while, it's not worth it to have him in the outfield. He's not a good fielder. Dylan is. Dylan's a very good defensive center fielder, so he'd, he'd be the direction that I would go with that. Newpar plays good outfield as well, and so you've at least got some some stabilization there and hopefully Tyler O'Neill can get back before October get back before the playoffs but it's going to be kind of hard to tell so like there are elements of this lineup that you look up and down and say when it's going well I can certainly picture it but it's been that consistency of late that they just haven't really been able to hone in on I would argue though and and Wainwright I saw on the postgame show tonight made the same case that there are worse times for this to be happening it's not October yet and sometimes you, you see teams where they go through this little lull in September, and then it clicks. And all it's got to do is click before game one of the playoffs because right now the Cardinals are locked in. They're going to win the Central. No, they're not going to catch the leader in the East. They haven't been playing quite well enough for that to be the case, and the Braves and Mets are both still playing pretty good baseball. In fact, the Mets helping out the Cardinals in terms of locking down the Central. Another win over the Brewers tonight. That's two in a row this week. They beat him Monday, beat him Tuesday, and the Cardinals stay ahead eight and a half games in the National League Central at this point. The magic number is down to six. It will be clinched before they get back to St. Louis. Seven more games on this road trip. The Brewers are not going to win all their games. The Cardinals are going to come up with a couple of wins at least. Everything's going to be fine on that front. But what I would say is that the Cardinals need to kind of get into the mindset, or I should say Cardinals fans. The Cardinals players don't don't give a damn. But the fans, if I'm you, I'm looking at that matchup in the playoff bracket you know, it's going to be probably the, the Padres or the Phillies or maybe the, the Brewers. It's still up in the air who could be that number six seed in the NL. It'll be Dodgers, number one. And then on the other side of the bracket, the same side the Cardinals will be on, it'll be the NL East winner. And the Cardinals will be the number three seed playing the sixth seed, the worst wild card team to get in. So you got to win two or three at Bush. That's, that's the bottom line. But if you do that, and we're going to assume that the Cardinals will, If you do that, you get into the NLDS against the NL East winner. And the reason the Cardinals should be rooting, in my estimation, for the Braves to to surpass the Mets in that NL East is not because I think the Cardinals would just be able to knock out the Braves, knock out the defending world champions, but because the Braves don't have Max Scherzer. And the Dodgers are going to be a tough out regardless of when it has to happen. And I would say that I'd almost rather face the Mets if I'm the Cardinals than the Dodgers, but I would rather face the Braves than the Mets. And so you might get an opportunity if the Braves can win that division, they'd be the two seed. The Mets would be the four seed because they would be the top wild card team. And that means they would play the five seed, whoever that ends up being, the second wild card. But the winner of that Mets wild card series would play the Dodgers as long as the Mets don't win the division. So the NL East loser 
would match up, assuming they get through round one, with the Dodgers in the NLDS. The NL East winner would match up with the Cardinals, assuming the Cardinals get through their wildcard series. Max Fried, Spencer Strider, like, it's going to be a problem. They've got a very good rotation. Atlanta's got a good rotation, but they don't have Scherzer. In the last couple of times the Cardinals have faced Scherzer in the playoffs, it has not gone their way. 2019 with Washington, 2021 with the Dodgers. So I'm just saying, I'd be looking for the Cardinals. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm thinking, I'd rather see the Braves actually win that division because that's the team that the Cardinals might match up a little bit better against. Could be wrong about that. Both teams are very good. Neither are going to be pushovers. But my bottom line, especially after watching the Mets and Brewers on Monday when Max Scherzer returned from the injured list and threw six perfect innings. He he was on pace for a Maddox, and they pulled him because he was fresh off the I.L., And they know they're going to want all those innings for October, not for right now. They saw he was healthy, good to go. They said, okay, thank you, Max. You're good. Six innings is enough. We're going to take it easy with you. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Cardinals fans should be rooting for the Braves. Let me know if you agree or disagree. Who would you rather see if the Cardinals get through that wild card series? You'd rather see the Mets or the Braves? Because I think that's going to be the question. And uh, the answer is going to be whichever team ends up winning that division. Right now, it's pretty close. For a while, I was thinking the Braves were going to pull out that that comeback in the NL East. But the Mets have turned it around recently after a little bit of a downturn. Now they're getting that pitching healthy. If you got Scherzer to Grom, everybody else has got problems. But the Mets, 95-55. and 55. The Braves, 93-55. and 55. So two more additional games for the Braves to play. And if they win them both, they're in a dead heat in that division. Atlanta right now just one game behind. So let me know what you think about that. At Schaefer 12 on Twitter. Shoot me a message, tweet at me, get the conversation flowing. For me, it's the Braves. I think I'd rather see the Cardinals face the Braves if I'm St. Louis. And then maybe the Mets help you out and they knock out the Dodgers. And if they don't, well, you face the Dodgers anyway. And then you you get to avoid Scherzer this time. They don't have him anymore. So that's interesting. But if the Cardinals are going to get to that point, if they're going to get to the NLDS, if they're going to get out of that first wildcard series, regardless of who they play, I think it's got to be because Adam Wainwright won a start at Bush Stadium in the Wild Card Series. He'd be your Game 1 starter, your Game 2 starter, your Game 3 starter, whatever. He's probably going to be in that series because it's at home, and that's where he's been at his best. Shouldn't be all that surprised that today he wasn't fantastic because, well, it wasn't at home. If you look at those numbers for Wainwright, in recent years, it just has has been a trend where Bush Stadium, he, he pitches great. Away from Bush Stadium, it's been it's been a slog. It's been a struggle. This season specifically, 2.61 ERA at Bush, away from Bush, a 4.31 ERA. He's more than a run and a half worse in terms of ERA on the road. Tonight contributed to that, and, and those numbers on the road were before tonight. So now it's probably more like 4.40 ERA or something because he gave up four runs in six innings. So he did get through six and pitched a nice six inning. It was probably the best he looked. They're questioning on the broadcast whether they should run him back out there in that 4 nothing game at the time. And I, what's it matter, I guess, would be my answer. The, the bullpen should have been rested, though, but the Cardinals weren't scoring runs in this game was my point. So there really was no no reason to quibble with it. But Wayno did look good in that sixth inning, so maybe something to build upon. But recent games haven't been super-duper strong for him. He's had three games in a row at home prior to this start, and that's maybe part of the concern, actually four games in a row at home. But it's only been a, a couple of the last few that have been struggles. We'll just talk, talk about the beginning of September. 
Faced the Cubs, five innings, four runs, nine hits, two strikeouts. Not a huge strikeout guy, but that's not a big number. September 8th against the Nationals, another bad lineup. Five innings, nine hits, four runs, two strikeouts. Almost identical, although that day he didn't walk anybody. And then on the 14th against Milwaukee, that was the one that was start number 325 with Yachty. Five innings, eight hits, but only one run and three strikeouts. So just has not been blowing guys away. Again, doesn't always do that, doesn't have to, but you'd like to see a little bit better in terms of missing bats. Like when he's going well, back in August, had the comp- the complete game that wasn't because the Cardinals couldn't score any runs, but he went nine innings, gave up one run, eight strikeouts in that game, seven strikeouts in the, in the one that followed against Colorado. So he can do it. He can get up there. Just recently has not been himself. And he talked about after the last start, feeling a little bit of dead arm, but said he was coming out of it. Tonight, six innings, but the four runs, Gives up one homer. And, you know, I don't know if dead arm was part of it. Katie Wu, I saw in the post game, asked Ollie Marmel about that. Didn't see what Wainwright had to say about it if, if he was, in fact, asked about it. But, I mean, just one strikeout. Ollie's answer was that, no, I don't think tonight was anything like a dead arm. But it seemed that Wainwright could get into those two strike counts and then just wasn't able to put anybody away. He, I would say he just didn't look sharp. Well, he looks injured, but he just doesn't look sharp. And the Cardinals are going to need him back sharp if they're going to get through that wild card series to me. Michaelis is another guy that's much better at home. So even if he's struggling of late, as he kind of has been, for me, I mix him into that rotation. And I, even with the fact that maybe Quintana and Montgomery and let's say Flaherty jumps in and looks good, Dakota Hudson has looked good. Even if some of those other candidates do really well, leading right into the playoffs. I still go Michaelis Wainwright in, in one order or the other to begin the wild card series because I'm looking ahead. Uh, Cardinals aren't going to celebrate a wild card series championship. They're not printing t-shirts about that. I mean, maybe they do. They probably print t-shirts for everything these days. But bottom line, if you don't have the right guys lined up in the right spots in the NLDS, you're not going to win that series. And I think the way it happens is, well, the offense has to contribute. We've talked a lot about that tonight. But you also have to say, all right, from a pitching standpoint, Wainwright Michaelis, where are they going to give you their best opportunities to win games? It's going to be if they pitch at Bush. And so if they pitch early in the wildcard series, that means games three and four at Bush, they'll be able to pitch those games in the wildcard, or pardon me, the, the NLDS. Let me let me backtrack on that. If they pitch games one and two in the wildcard series, it should line them up to be games three and four in the NLDS. Games three and four in the LDS will be at home. Games one and two in the wild card at home. I don't want Wainwright or Michaelis pitching on the road. It doesn't do you any good. You might as well throw Dakota Hudson out there because that's what their numbers are. They're mid-fours ERA guys on the road this season, both of them. Jordan Montgomery, I think he's he's been built a little different this season. You can pitch him wherever, and it could be fine. If you need a game three in the wild card series, yeah, I'll go to Montgomery there. Hopefully you don't. Hopefully you win the first two. And Montgomery pitches game one of the NLDS. Now, you might say, well, what if Montgomery is legitimately your best pitcher at the time? You're really going to risk being eliminated without Montgomery pitching? Yeah, because I don't think he's been that dominant that I'm... Like, he had a clunker a couple weeks ago, too, within the last 10 days or so. So it's not like he's just been so far and away amazing and better than everybody else that I'm going to change my entire season plan based on that. If he were, then that would be a conversation, but... If, if he's susceptible to clunkers, well, so are the other guys. I'm going to line it up for the most longevity that I think I can get out of this this October. And for me, yeah, that might mean 
saving Montgomery for game three of a wild card series. And if you get swept in the first two, well, it probably wasn't the pitching that swept you anyway. It was probably because you, you scored a total of four runs in two games and you did the thing that you've done for the last three Octobers and the offense crapped out on you when they when they needed to not do that. So that's sort of the way I see it. I think Quintana should mix in as well, potentially as, as a guy that could start on the road in, in an NLDS in games one or two, especially if we, we see some more good things from him. But it's kind of an open audition, I think, between all those guys to, to say who's going to contribute and who really is capable of doing it in an October setting. But that's how I view the pitching. I've told you how I view the hitting. They've just got to do better. They have to get it done. The good news is it's the 21st of September today. It's not the 7th of October or the 6th of October or whenever the hell that playoff series is going to start. So they've got time to get there. They haven't gotten there yet, but there there is still time to do it. And we'll see if they're able to come up with it. They've been that offensive team for the bulk of this season. It's the reason they're in the position that they are. It's the reason August happened where they were just tremendous, just mowing teams down every night. Their pitching can be good enough. The offense has to be what carries them or it doesn't work. It doesn't work for the Cardinals to threaten for a championship in 2022 without the offense just vibing when you get to the playoffs. Like, that, there is a world where they could do that. You've got a lineup that consists of Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Albert Pujols, which still means something in 2022. I mean, 850 OPS, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. He's been a legit contributor and I'd be very interested to see, is he playing against righties in the playoffs or just lefties? Because right now, he's been part of your everyday lineup, and I know that as a team you're not doing as well, but like you're not putting Nolan Gorman in instead of him. He's been optioned. Gorman got sent out, which if they weren't going to use him and trust him to, to play, then that's probably for the better. Yepes is here. Get him some at-bats. Throw him in the outfield in September because you're going to have to see what it looks like in case O'Neill doesn't get back and you've got to make some decisions about what those lineups are going to be in the playoffs. So I think the Cardinals have the chops to do it. Will they do it? That's the question. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Once again, make sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling frisky, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash bshaper12. Thank you guys so much. We'll be here all week to recap the Cardinals. I know we got to have our coffee staying up late for these games, but appreciate you guys for sticking with it. That's going to do it for this edition of the show, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.